Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. I promise everyone who wants Evan to talk more, he saves all of his best stuff for just before I hit record. And he does it intentionally and he knows what he's doing. Don't buy into this whole stoic man a few words bullshit no the guy does not stop talking before we hit record and then it just goes away i couldn't be any further from the truth yeah i couldn't be any further from the truth i'm sick of you i'm glad you're bad bad brack <laughs> english <laughs> nailed <is> it <laughs> absolutely nailed it uh welcome back we thanks it. it's uh, eh, to be back thank you uh, we were saying that uh, it's good to have you back for no reason other than it's nice to have someone who just knows all those little facts that can't possibly be bothered to learn. <laughs> Ro- Brad, Rodion, uh, Rodion Amirov, uh, he was just in the MHL, right? Oh, no, he bounced back between the MHL and the KHL. Thank you. I would have had no idea and probably would have guessed or typed very loudly on air to look that up. Oh, there you go. The small victories, right? Um, but until they make a, a, a Google search engine that can do it without me having to type it in and can just kind of read my thoughts, uh, you'll always have that advantage over everyone. Do you um, really want Mark Zuckerberg's sunscreen lathered face in your head? <laughs> that was horrifying. <laughs> he's, you can't convince me he's not a robot at this point, just mimicking human behavior. You can't. It's, it's a fact. Real question. I need an honest answer from both of you. Butt implants, or is he just dragging a wagon behind him? Dude, squats. (laughs) I'm not sure he knows how. Big booty. He puts one plate on the bar for every dollar he owns to get that ass. Mark Zuckerberg squats with one plate, and I mean just like one plate on one side of the bar. And for (laughs) some reason, that works. (laughs) Yeah, that was a horrible, like, surfing mime somehow racist but also not like i saw the thumbnail and i went that looks horrifying and i opened it i'm like oh it looked exactly what like what it looked like it somehow it was worse than i imagined it would be it's terrible i took a shower after that oh he probably didn't uh well devastatingly on topic for the first few minutes welcome to the winged wheel podcast i'm ryan hannah i'm back sort of and i'm evan uh full roster again today uh you know yeah (laughs) i actually had to remind myself that there was a point in time that we um we did this here in this room i looked over um i was cleaning the studio because i also use it as an office right now and i saw something in my peripheral i'm like is there someone standing in here oh no it's the camera on the tripod i forgot that was there just completely (laughs) forgot that that was a thing that had a function uh, if it makes you feel any better, um, I had to take a piss in the middle of the night last night and I went down for a glass of water and I did not realize that, you know how my stairs kind of curve. So I have that flat part in the middle, mm-hmm. uh, leaning landing, up yeah. on the corner, crystal left the vacuum cleaner just propped there. Oh so I God. don't know how I didn't actually hit it walking down, but I didn't. So I turned the light on, on the stove and then turned to my right to go to the sink to pour the water. And then out of the corner of my eye, I saw the fat, like the figure on the stairs and Dan, your shit all over the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, just, uh, if you would have done that, it would have been a great way to, to honor Ollie. Yeah. That would have been on, <laughs> on brand for him. 
Oh, man. Um, we're going to talk hockey, believe it or not, this podcast, uh, return to play and CBA stuff. Uh, we're going to do a little bit of uh, Red Wings RFA talk and then um, our usual prospect profile before getting into your uh, usual insanity for overtime. Uh, it is the weekend. Completely forgot that it was the weekend. I thought this was a midweek episode. Time's a construct. My my friend was like, oh, yeah, I celebrated my uh, one-year anniversary with uh, my girlfriend today. I was like, has been a year it's been a year oh my god and then i realized it it sucks when quarantine has like canceled the last four months of your life oh yeah it was funny i still remember like uh years ago um when my best friend said like told me his uh his wife was pregnant and like big deal yeah she's in the hospital right now in labor so i'm like oh that was less than that was nine months ago not even nine months ago huh that is jarring the way you said that, like, yeah, big deal. Like, I know you're saying it as if it was a big deal, but it sounded like you're saying, oh, big deal, buddy. Yeah. Crystal's done that twice. Twice. Catch up. Jeez. All, and he's one of these psychopaths that doesn't didn't find out the gender. So nobody knows. I've got a mountain of girl shit in the garage ready to either go for donation or I'm backing a U-Haul up in his driveway tomorrow. I want it out of my house. <laughs> it's taking up space. We've seen it. We used to use Brad's basement as a, a very um, well-loved makeshift studio. And over time, we had a lot of pink decor moving in. Yeah. yeah. Uh, if you came down in the basement now, if you could see it all, it's jarring how different it is now. Um, all right. The uh, return to play and CBA. Not much has changed in terms of like actual return to play stuff. I, I, these are pretty minor topics. Um if you want to appreciate the NHL for a second, or at least the effort that they're putting into their plan, know that their entry into Canada to play out these games and try to award the Stanley Cup this season, it wasn't a gimme. And that's evidenced by the fact that the federal government is not allowing the Blue Jays to use Rod- the Rogers Center, Rogers Stadium? Rogers Center. Center. Man, Center. it's an hour away. Yeah, I don't care. I I'm not here for Toronto sports, man. I don't. I have no idea why you're a Blue Jays fan. I consider I, it blasphemous, truly. I don't know why I'm a fan of any team. I am because I made all these decisions when I was way too young to make decisions like this. Yeah, you're a sports Frankenstein. Yeah. And, and hey, look, I'm, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna go against anyone. Like I'm. I consider myself a home Red Wings fan, but in reality, I'm from across the river, so I'm not gonna. I'm not scolding you for that, but at the same time, Red Wings, um, Bills, Blue Jays is a bizarre one. It's funny, though. When you actually break it down, the Red Wings are the only team I picked that isn't the closest one to me. I know. So we should consider it fortunate that that's the one thing in your life you've had sense of mind about. That and Marion Crystal. Yeah, there you go. Um. Yeah, the, the the federal government's not allowing the Blue Jays to use the Rogers Center for um, the MLB's uh, attempted, attempt at a shortened season. Is it 60 games that they're going with? Something uh, like that? They went back and forth so many times about the number of games and percent yeah. pay. Seeing the, the dispute between the MLB uh, Players Association, the MLB, and then the current dispute going on between the NFL uh, players and the NFL – it really makes you appreciate that what the NHLPA and the NHL were able to do with the CBA. Granted, it w- wasn't like a smooth process and same thing as I just said now, like it wasn't a gimme, but at the same time, 
both Bettman and Donald's Fair said, yeah, we got to get this done. Like we are hemorrhaging money. We need to protect our, our income for the future and we need to try to salvage what we can. And they just buckled down and got it done. And it's not a perfect deal for either side, not by any means. And, you know, listening to the details, um, it looks like the two biggest things for the players were a cap on escrow and then an opt out for return to play. And the NHL, to their credit, offered that and they they asked the NHLPA to make other concessions and they did. And we now have hockey trying to return, at least. And we now have an almost unprecedented number of years of labor peace right now. Not exactly, but through a deadline, which is absolutely wild. Uh, honestly, though, we should thank the MLB because of the horror show of negotiations they put on. I truly believe that how sideways that went, how bitter it got in public, and how massive the backlash from the fans was, lit a fire under the NHL's ass to go, we're not doing that. Yeah, labor disputes are always funny, right? Because they they take the same path that you know, the layman's labor disputes do like teachers associations or like, you know, uh, auto workers unions, they'll have like very public battles and they'll release things into the papers. But the only people who really care are at like a uh, municipal or possibly like a state or provincial level. It never really gets to a national level. And people can relate to those disputes because they're like, yeah, that's a blue collar worker. or That's like a, a professional in my field or an adjacent field. Um, or I used to work in this industry or, you know, this affects me. But then when the, when professional sports leagues take that tactic, it's, it doesn't matter how brain dead you think the statement is. It holds true. It's millionaires arguing against billionaires and yeah, like boiling it down, the talking heads like us are going to find who we think to be, you know, objectively right or otherwise. But at the end of the day, you're not going to get sympathy from anyone. No one's going to go to sleep and go, oh, Sidney Crosby is going to lose 22% to escrow on his, you know, multi-million dollar contract. And he only might pull in $40 million after uh, outside deals this year. Oh, like no one's thinking that except for bootlickers. Like that's it. And like the pandemic only amplifies that every lockout we've had the the whole the entire public sentiment was this is millionaires versus billionaires. We hate you all right now. Please give us some outlet from our miserable lives. Now, there's people literally going and risking their lives every day for a job where they're making barely above minimum wage, if not minimum wage. And you're like, oh, yeah. Could you imagine being a baseball fan and and you're arguing over tens of millions of billions of dollars and you're just sitting there cool i make 1250 an hour and i might die yeah but you do you to hit a ball baseball you do you yeah no this is great a hundred percent like there's for sure like no one's saying that they shouldn't advocate for their best business interest that's their job and they'd be crazy not to if they weren't doing it they wouldn't be human and they wouldn't be in the business that they're in like of course but exactly like brad said the appeal to the public is silly in normal times but especially now, it's just such a ridiculous angle to take. And that's not just like we're not just saying the players, like the owners, too. Like uh, no one in their right mind is going to be sympathetic towards that. They might say, oh, yeah, they have a point. But they're not going to be up in arms or, or, or express their sympathy or support in a way that's going to move the needle. And again, that's why what the NHL did was fantastic. Yeah, of course, it wasn't perfect. And there, I'm sure there was hated battles. And I'm sure some stuff was leaked. But it's not like we, what we've seen in, in CBA negotiations in the past. 
in the past. Those have been vicious. They have been bloodbaths. They have been very obvious, like proxy battles using the media. They're like people have been burned. Who is the uh, Red Wings defenseman who called Gary Bettman a dumbass or something? And he's not. He's did play in the NHL again. Uh, I have absolutely no idea who you're talking about, but that sounds like something Mike Commodore would have done. No, I mean, I'm sure Commodore said it. I, you'd have a hard time finding someone he hasn't called a dumbass. But um, the somewhat, it was a Red Wings defenseman. They weren't like anyone meaningful. They were they were kind of like a journeyman, and they were just kind of on their last stop. I thought, it, like at the time of his career, like he wasn't he wasn't making a huge impact, but he wasn't useless. And then um, Ken Holland, who was very much you know falling in line with the NHL during those negotiations, just didn't offer him a contract after. I'm pretty sure a story came out where he like expressed his dismay towards the comments that were made. I can't ring. I it's not ringing a bell at all. But uh, back to the point, which was the, the, actually the most. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I can't. I'm not going to sit here and try and guess for ten minutes, Ryan. I don't even know what you're talking about, and Evan isn't even paying attention, so it doesn't matter. I'm no, looking up look the defenseman. <laughs> yeah, I can Matthew tell Evan Schneider. Something up. No, no, he's on the executive negotiating board for the NHLPA. Oh, that's something I definitely don't pay attention to. Uh, <laughs> let's get let's let brad take us back to the point yeah let's circle back um the, the most surprising part about this negotiation and, and it's honestly the thing that the nhl and the nhlpa should be most applauded for in this whole situation is nothing got out nothing we knew there were negotiations going on behind the scenes we ian didn't know white it was ian white there you go so there were negotiations going on behind closed doors we knew they were going, they were negotiating. We didn't know if they were close, if they were far apart, how it was going. And then one day, boom, here's our CBA. What? Yeah. Wait, what? It's done? You guys are voting? How long? All right. It was just like, okay. There was zero drama behind that. That is amazing. And I'm sure there was a lot of hard negotiations behind closed doors that Bettman and Fear were fighting hard for, and they probably had arguments and disagreed, yada, yada, yada. But it all stayed behind closed doors which is how every business negotiation should go. And again, circling back, thank you, MLB, for taking that thought right the hell out of the NHL's mind. I, I think you've, you hit the nail right on the head, Brad. I think the MLB has set the example on what not to do. The over like overwhelming sentiment I've seen from people of all ilk have been, just both of you shut up, please. Shut up and figure it out because we want to play. Like There was not anything but frustration coming from fans during that battle so yeah I, I would not be surprised if they actually said in a meeting oh we can't do what these guys are doing like that's bad and we don't have the money to do what these guys are doing the reality is the nhl is not one of the like on a great day the nhl is one of the big three sports in north america but it, they're never outperforming the nfl the mlb and the nba all at once if ever one of them they don't have the cash flow and they don't have the established ground in a lot of areas in the states especially to be losing fans and uh you know a lockout in 04 and a partial lockout 10 years later you can't keep doing that you can't make that a, a regular occurrence especially now when if you're not gaining fans, you're losing fans because everybody is looking for an outlet and you need to capitalize that on that as a sport. I mean, they already missed their chance in a lot of ways, but I'm sure you, get, you guys have heard us rant about that plenty enough. Yes. Uh, um, 
<laughs> so, uh, minor notes about the CBA or certain things that were brought up. Last episode, uh, Evan and I mentioned that um, the Leafs got called out for using referees and officials during their training camp, and they were asked to stop because, though not, I think, expressly forbidden in the return-to-play guidelines, um, other teams didn't have the ability to do that. And so the NHL was like, yeah, yeah, it's not fair. So they had to stop. And, you know, Toronto fans justifiably were like, kind of annoying like that's not really going to move the needle on anything that just seems kind of petty and like yeah fair enough um but i was like it's not yeah if, if, if i'm a rival gm if i'm yarmo kekalein and i don't want the leafs to have any single iota of advantage that they can't also capitalize on and then it came out that something that happened in the cba was other teams did not like the fact that mlse kept the Maple Leafs facilities open over the course of the offseason for players to train and use. And the NHL agreed, the, the or the NHL agreed, or the NHL and the NHLPA were like, yeah, let's let's codify that. So now Toronto's not allowed to do that. So because other teams are not keeping their facilities open during the offseason, the Toronto Maple Leafs aren't allowed to do it, or any other team who were who were doing it. Because cheap owners who couldn't afford to keep the lights on during the offseason weren't able to do the same thing. And I just think that's extremely stupid. And I'm not one to defend the Toronto Maple Leafs. That is the dumbest thing I have ever heard. So they can't use their property to help their players. Yep. So they own all of these things. They don't technically own the players, but they own the rights, however you want to phrase it. So they have all these things, but they can't use them. So that would be like saying, uh, yeah, I'm going to do my scouting from home. I own a couch and a TV, but I can't use the TV while I'm sitting on the couch. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, because I don't have a TV. Because you don't have a TV. Yeah. That's how stupid that is. Oh, my God. It's like we were watching the draft lottery. And Brad didn't have a stream and I didn't have a stream, but Evan had one. And we went, no, Evan, you're not allowed to watch. So we Brad just, and I can't. just canceled the, the draft. Cancel. And then there's no content. <laughs> this is literally kindergarten logic. It's enabling cheap, shitty owners to be cheap, shitty owners. And I get that it's not always a situation. Sometimes the facilities that teams use are used exclusively for events and things in the offseason. But then you know what? Fine. If you're so worried about that disadvantage, find the money to rent some, you know, ice pads. Doesn't matter where the hell you do it. Players aren't going to care. Man, I rented ice this week. Like, it's not yeah. hard. So what What if, <laughs> let's say Austin Matthews cut a check to MLSC to, to rent the ice. Would that would that be getting around it? I would I would 100% try that if I was the Leafs. <laughs> No, it won't be Austin Matthews. It'll be his buddy. And then Matthews will just show up on the ice. (laughs) There will be a charity game in August. Yeah, his buddy. (laughs) Uh, All right, charity game. It's a bag skate. (laughs) (laughs) They would probably still get a ton of fans there. Oh, yeah. Unless unless they priced it how they priced Toronto tickets, in which case there would still probably be a ton of suits there. Yeah, exactly. No, that was was annoying for me to see. Um, Another small little, and I promise we'll stop talking about small, stupid stuff. Um, Part part of the return to play stuff is that there's no dress code, so there's no suit and tie code for um, these playoffs. (laughs) And nobody in their right mind cares. Like, 
no, there's it doesn't matter. There are old school hockey men who are up in arms right now, and you just don't know it yet. But nobody in would, their right mind, nobody in their right mind cares, Brad. <sighs> I've seen a, a, so many comments that are like, "No, they need this. It gives them like order and 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 uh, it shows respect and it gives them uniformity." And like, look, I didn't mind the dress code when I played. Like, I like showing up in a, in a shirt and tie. Like, that was fine. But I didn't care. But at the same time, it just brings me so much joy to know that someone's going to be absolutely horrified to see like Austin Matthews show up in like multicolored parachute pants. Like it just drives them up the wall and it makes me so happy. Seeing the like the hashtag hockey men lose their minds on Twitter was really funny. I desperately want to see someone go full Russell Westbrook here because hockey Twitter would explode. Yeah, imagine Cam Newton right now in these NHL playoffs. Oh, God, that would be Wearing amazing. a literal pirate costume to a game three of a ser- in the play-in series where they're down 2-0. <laughs> if, if, Don Cher- if Don Cherry was still commentating, oh, boy. If I played for the Montreal Canadiens, there is a 1,000% chance I'm showing up in a penguin suit to a game. Look. Uh, my feelings on Don Cherry aside, I propose that we bring him back just to commentate on the players walking in because I think it'll be funny to see how deep a pitch of red his face would get. <laughs> we could use that as a color swatch for the next Red Wings third jersey. <laughs> I'm here for it, honestly. Um, all right. And uh, next topic, Evan's going to bring us in. I don't even remember what our next topic was. <laughs> no, we didn't agree to do that. I just wanted to kind of see what you would do if I threw it to you. No, Dead honest. <laughs> um, okay, the uh, the Detroit Red Wings, now that things are settling down a little bit and we're in that kind of lull before um, the return to play kicks in, I've, I've, we've been getting a few more questions and uh, some more speculation as you know the airwaves are being filled as to what the Red Wings are going to do about their RFAs. You know, we've talked a lot and we'll continue to talk a lot about what they – uh, the avenues are for them during or uh, for cap space, not even just for this off season. And then the next off season, that's also this off season. Um, and then the off season after that, which is, you know, acquire bad contracts. If you're of the other school of thinking, maybe go after a big name free agent. Please don't ask us about Tory Krug again um, or anything of the sort. But at the same time, we still have to consider the fact that they have to sign Mantha. They have to sign Bertuzzi. Robbie Fabry is still probably going to be resigned. They have to make decisions on Perlini and Timoshov and Madison Bowie. All of that's coming up. And um, the Red Wings are, or Red Wings fans are used to, quite honestly, really, really good RFA contracts um, from the era of Ken Holland. I've been, I was an open critic about Ken Holland, especially during his last, you know, few years with the Red Wings or maybe five, maybe the whole time we've been doing this podcast has just been through the latter years of the Ken Holland era. Um, but one thing that I think he was top notch in the league and was RFA deals. Um, he consistently signed players to excellent value deals. Dylan Larkin, Anthony Mantha. Um, those are just two examples which are paying dividends for the Red Wings right now or were up until the end of the season. Can the Red Wings expect similar contract magic from one of the only other people in the league who has a pedigree for this and that is steve eisenman um i'm gonna say 
Yes, but it won't necessarily be because of Steve Eiserman's magic. That is certainly going to help. But in the hashtag these trying times, sorry, Ryan, I had to steal your line there. Um, I'm not going to lie. It's flattering when you use one of my jokes because you almost <laughs> never do that. <laughs> so in these trying times, I-, I think every free agent around the NHL is going to feel the pinch, whether they want to or not, with the cap basically being flat for the next few years. I-, I mean, teams can't afford to overpay guys. Like We could be sitting here and say, Anthony Mantha's worth $7 million a year. And if the Red Wings gave him eight, we'd go, hey, yeah, whatever, no big deal. Uh, $1 million against the cap is a huge deal these days now with how how tight it is, how uncertain the future looks. So I think players are going to understand that. I think GMs understand that. I think player agents will even understand that. They will still fight for every last dollar. But I think to a certain extent, we have to shift our mentality as to what a fair contract is. Because I've been saying since... February when we were having these conversations that I think uh, close to $8 million is a fair price for Anthony Mantha. That was with the understandable inflation we were expecting over the next few years. If there is none, I can't sit here and say I'd be comfortable to pay Mantha $8 million plus now. Yeah, Because I know the Red Wings aren't in cap trouble now, but in four years, they I would hope they're a good team in four years, so they better be. So yeah, it's those little differences are going to make a world of difference for teams. Yeah, I was listening to um, Thirty One Thoughts talk about this, and I thought they did. They had a really excellent discussion about it, and a, a large part of it was because obviously, you know, Fridge has ta- or just regularly talks with players and agents and GMs, um, and the general thought here is that. The players that are going to feel squeezed the most are the middle class, so to say. And if you want to know the middle class, it's anyone from bottom level being like Luke Glendening value contracts, top end being, I think, Franz Nielsen, if you want that in like Red Wings terms. Um, and my first thought was, oh, good. <laughs> Perfect. Exactly. Um, and the, that's good for two reasons. One, you obviously like brad said it doesn't matter whether eisman has that logic or not every single little bit's going to count and you're going to have more middle class contracts than uh superstar top tier contracts just by way of there are way more middling players in the league than there are top end players so you're not going to really have unless you're like a super elite team with a ton of talent to pay like toronto or tampa bay you generally don't have to worry about that and two overpaying a superstar is much less destructive than overpaying a middling player. Your loss of value is way, way, way lower just by virtue of the fact that it is extremely hard to acquire superstars. I'm going to throw it back to Brad's favorite conversation that we had last summer, Mitch Marner. There's conversations about 9 million. There's conversations about 12 million. There's conversations about, you know, whatever it was that he ended up signing. It was like nearly 11. Was it 10 point something? I can't remember. Yeah. Um, and the thought there is that, like, yeah, I mean, in the end, did Marner get paid more than he was objectively worth? Probably. I think by the numbers he did. But is Toronto going to be crying about that? No, because it is extremely hard to be to find Mitch Marners. 
we're talking about Lucas Raymond in this draft and his best case scenario is like a Mitch Marner type. And that is like, we are pie in the sky. We're praying to every God possible, you know, uh, making little pentagrams with Red Wings hockey cards. Like that is the absolute dream. And the likely scenario is that that's not going to happen for whoever the Red Wings draft. When you overpay a Darren Helm, when you overpay a Franz Nielsen, when you overpay a Jonathan Erickson, then you end up being a god-awful team for years and years and years beyond however long your rebuild should have taken. Because you can acquire those guys at value and even maybe strike lucky with a, a league minimum, but you cannot find the Mitch Marners. No. is When you talk to a Leaf fan uh, about what's wrong with their team and why they didn't finish first, it's certainly not because of Marner, Matthews, Tavares, etc. Oh, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of Leafs fans who would tell you that well, they're okay. nuts. <laughs> a majority of them. They're they're blaming the crappy defense. They're blaming the Knights Frederick Anderson was off. They were blaming Alex Kerfoot for not producing more. The superstars are everything. Everything. So if we overpay Anthony Mantha, I'm not going to be devastated. Uh, you couple it with some of the contracts we already have, and that's the problem. Ryan nailed it. It's not whatever we give Anthony Mantha isn't going to be the problem long-term. That is absolutely not going to, we could give him $9 million. That's not the problem long-term. It's going to be the, where we're going to run into trouble. And I don't want to put this thought in everybody's head and, and scare everybody. It's if we give Tyler Bertuzzi 7 million because Tyler Bertuzzi is a complimentary player. Tyler Bertuzzi is in the exact spot right now that Justin Ablocator was in when we overpaid him, except Bertuzzi has the advantage of being younger, thankfully. Now, I'm not sitting here and saying they're equal players. I'm not, because I think Tyler Bertuzzi, just on a pure skill standpoint, is way better than Justin Avlocator ever was. But the circumstances are the same. It's a complimentary player playing shotgun with two of the best players, probably the two best players on the team, and his numbers are getting inflated for it. So if we give... I would rather sit here and say, if we're giving $14 million to Anthony Mantha and Tyler Bertuzzi per year, I'd rather give 10 of it to Mantha and four to Bertuzzi because there's less risk there. And that's more easily tradable if things go sideways with Tyler Bertuzzi's um, growth as a player. Yeah. And I'm not sitting here and saying I expect Bertuzzi to flame out. I don't. I think... Uh, but I also don't expect him to improve, which is one thing where I differ from a majority of the fan base. Uh, Tyler Bertuzzi is a 50-point player today. I think Tyler Bertuzzi will be a 50-point player in three years if he's in the same circumstance. If you put him on the second line, he is not that. Um, but that is – he, to me, is the scary contract this offseason. I don't really care what we give to Fabry because it'll either be short-term or cheap. Mantha, we know – is a first-line player. I don't care what we give him. Bertuzzi worries me. Not that I don't like him. One of my favorite players on the team. Love the guy. But that is where the concern should be this offseason in regards to the RFAs. Yeah, a lot of the um, you know first-time situations where Steve Eisman has taken the helm as GM, I've been really, really forgiving and, and uh, offered a lot of leeway, both as you know someone who analyzes and talks about what he does and as a fan. Um, because I'm biased, of course. Um, but this is a situation where I think I, I have really high hopes and expectations of how Steve Eisenman is going to handle these RFA deals. And there's a few things at hand. Um, one, he has an excellent track record from Tampa Bay. 
I know taxes. I know, you know, they are a cup contender, though both those things mattered. He had um, uh, Julian Breezeball was a cap genius, apparently in Tampa Bay. And I'm sure he did a lot of work over there. All of those things, of course, can't be discounted. But the reality is Eisman built a cup contending team based on getting his best players in on friendly deals. That was a major tenet of his uh, cap construction. Time after time after time, a Tampa Bay Lightning star signed a contract and we all went, oh, what the hell? How does he keep doing it? Why is, you know, uh, Braden Point signing for $4 million? Not actually, but you know what I mean. Um, two, the point Brad brought up. Money is tight. The cap is lower. Every million is going to count and that is going to further advantage and put the ball in the in Steve Eisman's court. You can be a fan of players, but really as fans, we should be rooting for players to be taking as team-friendly deals as possible. That just makes for the best product on the ice, technically. Um, it's not a dis- like it's not a knock on these players, but the reality is he's not going to be in a position like th- there's never going to be a position where Tyler Bertuzzi is going to be able to come to the table and say, like, look. I'm willing to bet on myself or like I'm 100% confident what I've done. If you want to keep me long term, here's my number and I'm not budging. Like He doesn't have that leverage anymore because I just was going to say I couldn't if I wanted to. That is just not what we're afforded right now. That's not the way where the league is, which leads me to my next question. Is this going to lead players like Mantha and Bertuzzi to purposely avoid long term deals to bet on themselves again in three years when this thing starts to uh, the cap starts to creep up a bit again? Um, it's situational dependent. Honestly, uh, if I'm Anthony Mantha, yeah, I'm taking as short of a term of contract as they're going to give me, and I'm going to keep writing short-term contracts. I can't say I would do the same thing if I was Bertuzzi, though, because he does. He he's at the mercy of his coach, and I think he knows it. Because again, for as good as we all think Tyler Bertuzzi is. If Zadina was in his spot this year and he was playing with Fabry and Philpola, are we talking about him getting a five plus million dollar contract? No, we are not. He is a 40 point player at best in that scenario right now. Now that's a bad second line on a bad hockey team. So you are handcuffing the guy, but I think he knows he's in a fortunate spot and would prefer long-term security. I think Mantha knows he can squeeze every last dollar out of this he can because the Red Wings can't afford to lose him. Yeah, my expectations here are that I mean, I'm fine with even like a market value deal for Mantha that bets on who we know he can be as a player. Like I, I'm perfectly okay with that hedge from from Eisman. If he pays him, you know, seven million or whatever long-term. Fine by me. I'd rather do that than see him take him on a three-year contract at 28 and then unrestricted free agency. That is not too appealing for me. Um, but with Bertuzzi, yeah, I think the expectation is that you either get a really, really good value deal long-term or the same thing short-term. And, and we're not talking about any kind of long-term commitment that even has a hint of turning into another abdicator situation. Fabry, I don't think will be a tough deal. You know, for a guy who who seems to just appreciate the opportunity at a, a feature spot in the top six on a team, I, I anticipate he's going to be pretty reasonable in negotiations. Um, not to say Bertuzzi and, and Mantha wouldn't, but I don't know. I, I just get the impression that the Fabry deal will be easy. I mean, I can't imagine either side wanting a long-term deal there. The Red Wings probably want him to 
put in another season or two to prove that his season this year with the Red Wings wasn't a fluke. And I think Fabry knows if he takes a long-term deal now, uh, that number is probably starting with a three. And considering he was on pace for 50 points, I don't think he'd be happy taking a long-term $3 million deal if he puts up 50 points for the next five years. So, yeah, he's. I I think both sides are going to want something a short-term prove-it deal, which is fine. Two years, four million per. Do you do it? Oh, yeah. Why not? Inconsequential, really. Yeah, like I know, like as long as they're not eating up their cap space with other bad dollars everywhere else, I, I still want them to go out and get a Louis Erickson or, or whoever. As long as they're not screwing that over, it's fine. I, I don't know. If the Red Wings were tight to the cap, would I give the would I give Fabry four million right now on a short term? Probably not. Uh, you have three quarters of a good season. I don't know if that's worth eight million dollars to most teams. Uh, I mean, w- was it Mantha's coming off a contract that paid him three million, just north of three million a year? So if that's all he got on a two year deal, I can't imagine Fabry's getting more than that. And I think because that's so recent, like it's ending right now, that it's actually going to be used as like a, a marker. I wouldn't be surprised if that's used as a a little uh, benchmark for for any players who are trying to reach high negotiations. And as for the other RFAs, like Ernie, Perlini, and Timoshoff, Bowie, honestly, the only one I really would say I'd be disappointed if they weren't retained is Timoshoff. How dare you? Yeah, I know. I, know. <laughs> I think I accidentally said a nice thing about Madison Bowie last episode. I'm happy you weren't there to hear it. Yeah, and I definitely didn't listen. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, yeah, of those guys, and it's not a knock on any of them, like... I think Ernie's really apt defensively. I just don't think he's if he's wanting more money. I, yeah. He scored in one game this year. I'm I'm very much over it. I don't care how bad the Red Wings are. You come in to prove you have more offense, and your season total is two goals. No, I I do not care if he wants to be a quintessential guy on the fourth line. I am okay with it. If they move on from him, I'm okay with it. I'm with you. I think Timoshov is really the only one who has any tangible value. So you retain him if for no other reason than to trade him. Um, but yeah, it's all those players are are guy. And I know you got you. A lot of people hate when we say like guy and warm bodies and, you know, filler players. But the reality is like so much of this performance level is replacement level. And, you know, the Red Wings didn't get a big boost by winning a top two pick in this year's draft. And so, again, I I talked in previous episodes about speed limits. If we're keeping to the speed limit on this rebuild, it's not going to be a phenomenal year coming up. A shortened season, although it's less hockey, would actually be a blessing for the Red Wings in terms of development and pain that we would have to live through as fans. Um, I don't ever wish for a shortened season, but at the same time, like, next year is not going to be terribly different from this past season. So I'm not really, really like if you're passionate about, you know, Ernie, if you're like Kara, you love Dilla Rose, like all the power to you. I think you're kind of wacky. Um, but those guys in the margins, they're honestly, they're not, they're not worth sweating over. And the chances are that they're not like diamonds in the rough that we just haven't found out about yet. If I had the option to put them all in the lineup over the, than well north of 30 overpaid guys if i could take helm and abdulkader and all those guys out of the lineup and put and nielsen and put these guys in instead just on the 
off chance one of them pops off, oh, I would do it in a heartbeat. I, I'd rather play the the young guys who are probably bad than the older guys who are definitely bad. But the cap doesn't allow us to do that. Yeah. Yeah. It would be really nice if we could do that. Um, okay. Let's move on to our uh, prospect profile this week. And this is a uh, player that I've been excited to talk about just because um, I think he is a, a really promising prospect, not necessarily one that's in Detroit's range. And he also wears a cool jersey. So without further ado, uh, Brad, take us away on Rodion Amirov. Ah, uh, one of the better shooters in the draft. Um, unlike a lot of the prospects we've been talking about in this range, specifically forwards, he is actually six feet tall. He's not big, but we don't classify him as small. So we get a break from that this week. He is an average size forward who is extremely gifted uh, with his shot, unbelievable release, can let it go from multiple angles and couples that really nicely uh, with his agility and ability to find seams in the offensive zone. Not a terrific north-south skater, but not bad. Um, not an elite playmaker, but not bad. But he's got a nose for the net, an unreal shot, knows how to find this space and the time to use it. And he does it very effectively, uh, especially in the MHL. The uh, after he, uh, he was back and forth between the MHL and the KHL. KHL he played like negative uh, six minutes a game, so his stats there were basically uh, none. But he had a very impressive season in the MHL. And uh, my big concern with him is the fact that he he had a good season. Uh, but didn't dominate, and he is a late birthday, so he's a 2001. So I was kind of hoping to see a bit more from him this year, but again, a player you can't argue about with the tools. So anybody with that type of shot and uh, that type of ability to read the play is worth getting excited about. Yeah, Rodion Amirov for me is a an interesting player, and if you needed me to make a random selection of um, a gut-feeling guy who you think could... Uh, perform way beyond his stock where he is in the draft, but is still like not a crazy pick in the first round. He is probably one of my my first choices. He's definitely the first name that comes to mind. Um, like Brad mentioned, extremely, extremely gifted. Watching what he does with his hands, um, how creative he is with the puck, and how quickly he can execute is is really, really impressive. Um, he's a fine skater. Um, the part that gets me is his agility, his like quick cuts his edge work his strength down low like that's the kind of thing like strength down low like pushing off um on his edges not necessarily um pushing off bodies he is kind of light and so he'll definitely need to pack on the weight um but you couple that with his his ability to um, execute and, and demonstrate his stick handling and his, his offensive prowess to me that is um extremely promising not only that like he was really good in the MHL, which is the KHL's junior league. It's a step below. Um, rushes are very, very hard. Like the, the Russian pro leagues are very, very difficult to play in. The KHL is extremely difficult to perform in. And a great season in the KHL on paper won't look good. Um, performances are muted. It's kind of like what we're seeing with Lucas Raymond. Like if you're not getting the minutes and the opportunity, like you're not really going to stand out. And if you're standing out, you're probably getting more minutes than you are. 
um much like the shl the khl is a fantastic like top three or four pro league in the world the khl is probably the second best pro league in the world so i don't really hold his lack of performance in the khl against him but i do think it might have created a situation where you have an extremely skilled player who still can grow physically um and that might be a diamond in the rough. A team grabs him at anywhere from like, you know, 12 to 25. And they have a player that maybe should have been top 10 or, or, or even better. It's not a guarantee. He could flop completely. And, and Brad's mention of a late birthday and he should have been more developed by now. That could definitely hold true. Uh, but I'm just really, really impressed with his his uh, ability with the with his stick. And um, I think his his skating and his edge work are extremely underrated. I can't remember who it was. I want to say it was Scott who pointed it out first, and I went and looked, and I was like, oh, yeah, like this guy's not a joke with that. So uh, that's kind of where – well, maybe it was Corey. One, it, anyways, um, I don't think he's really going to be there for the Red Wings at 32. I'd be very, very surprised if he dropped. Russian factor, though, a guy projected to go in the late teens. I mean, we all sit here and say, yeah, every team would be stupid to factor in – the Russian factor these days, but teams do. And I can tell you right now, if Amirov's sitting there at 32, unless someone else has dramatically fallen, I'll be crushed if the Red Wings don't take him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. If if he's there, like that over, to me, that overwhelms like the Reichel Paterka need in my mind. Like, mm. I, I think he, he passes both those guys for me. He's right in the same range as Reichel with me. So I wouldn't be super devastated that way. But. Yeah, like if we're talking um, Amirov versus like an Emil Andre or uh, uh, who else do I have in the 20s that could fall, that would be a good comparison, or a Forrester or a Lapierre. No, yeah, I, I'm going Amirov 10 out of 10 times. He plays on the left side, right? He's a left winger? Um, Yes. Okay, uh, that was Rodion Amirov. Um, more obviously to come on prospects in future episodes. Uh, Brad, last episode we talked about NHL awards nominees. Have, did you see those come out? Uh, yeah, in passing. Uh, and then since last episode, Connor Hellebuck, Tuka Rask, and um, Vasilevsky out of Tampa Bay were nominated as the Vesna uh, candidates. Oh. I just had something autoplay on my, that was stupid. Um, any website that has autoplay on it is trash, trash, garbage. If your if your user interface is so bad that you got Evan to speak, you're garbage. Um, if Connor Hellebuck doesn't win the Vezina with the runaway vote, the NHL awards are broken. Uh, correct. Yeah. Winnipeg's a lottery team without him this year. Yeah. hundred percent. Okay. Uh, do you guys have anything before overtime? Or are we going to run to overtime right now? I think there was something about Sidney Crosby sitting out due to precautions. Oh, really? Yeah. Of course, they didn't elaborate. Yeah, they no, missed practice today. Unfit to play, which could be COVID or a sore leg. We don't know. That is the dumbest thing the NHL came up with in this thing. So now, when players do leave with an honest-to-goodness cramp, we think they're dying. Okay. Okay, but let's say this came from the player side. They're like, hey... This is a sensitive thing. It's not the same as reporting a groin strain. We don't want the world knowing when we have this illness. Doesn't matter whether it's fundamentally the best for the fans. You kind of have to respect that, right? They are making their own problem worse. 
I absolutely get what you're saying. And I'm generally by nature a private person. I don't like people knowing my crap. But at the same time, in a situ- if I was in a situation like this, I would rather have people know than speculate. Because that's the thing is like if you have 50 players deemed unfit to play, the likelihood is 40 of them are actually injured, having a maintenance day, tweaked something, and 10 might actually, okay, yeah, we we might have a COVID situation here. But when you say unfit to play, we now think all 50 have COVID or we are all speculating that all 50 have COVID. And then they have to come out and, and clarify if they so choose. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. But is that not going to wear off over time? Are people not just going to become like numb to it and they're going to say, oh, we're not going to figure out what. The- uh, no, I guess it's just going to matter even more in the cup finals, right? Yeah, we're, it's going to it's only going to get worse because we're talking training camp. Sidney Crosby left a practice 20 minutes early and we all just went, oh, uh, if Sidney Crosby leaves a is out for a game against the Canadians. Yeah, he's got the Rona. Everybody's going to think that immediately. Look. I hope everyone's okay. I don't hope anyone gets injured. And obviously you hope every single NHL player, it's kind of unavoidable that there's going to be positive tests, but you hope all of them make it through and no one tests positive. Wasn't in a story come out recently where Crosby and Malkin, you know, while things were still like before anything was decided before training camp started, they sent messages out to teammates and said, Hey, we're running workouts. And there was like a heavy implication that they should be there. Like there was a message of like, you know, we have a we have a goal here and we have a cup to win and so uh, they might not have outright said like you have to be here but like there's a strong implication that they should be there and if you're on on the Pittsburgh Penguins and Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin are telling you to be somewhere you 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 tend to show up um and if it's if this is what it is <sighs> It would be stupid. I would. That's what. That's my comment on that. It would be stupid. I hope it's not that. The part that gets me about all this, and it's like obviously people aren't thinking about this now because we have too much crap in front of us right now to be worried about this. Like, but the the permanent damage that can happen to people who contract this is not going to be a non-story for professional athletes. There's going to be professional athletes down the road where we where you know, they're either going to retire early or after they retire, or maybe they have decreased performance. They're going to say, yeah, my lung capacity was never the same. Or yeah, I, I had like clotting issues or yeah, like I had this like, you know, weird side effect after having this illness that never went away and it affected my career, which is why like, I get it. You're Sidney Crosby and you're Vigeny Malkin. Like you're in a window that is widened by the fact that you're generational talents, but at the same time, not everybody's making the same money as them. Yeah. yeah. There aren't a lot of guys who have to grind to stay in the league. Yeah. But won't someone please think of the escrow? <laughs> the escrow. No, seriously, escrow's okay. Oof. It's it's like it's coming out of my pocket. That's how I feel about it. Exactly. <laughs> Me working in the public sector and worried about millionaires. Anyways, um, I'm sure there's going to be plenty more speculation. Pasternak had to leave. A, Pasternak and Kasha had to leave a practice, and I think Pasternak has already tested negative, so he's back. Um, I'm not sure if there's been any word on Kasha yet for Boston, but it's going to be a continuous story. Before I could even try to argue with Brad as I was saying the words, it's like, no, he's right. I get it. I get why this is stupid. 
I understand completely how it came about. And I think you do have to respect it, but I, I think it is making the problem worse. Eh, Thank it is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. You have one, you have one episode of sympathy. And then Evan actually, actually we have a roast of Brad Crisco and it's going to be hosted and run completely by Evan. It's true. How much would it, how much would it take for you to do that? Evan, like how much would we have to pay you to run a roast of Brad Crisco? I do it for free. What? <laughs> what a dumb question that was. I thought for sure you were going to ask me what it would have to do. Oh, I knew what Evan's answer was. Yeah, maybe, uh, free. Maybe a future fundraiser. We run a roast of Brad Crisco. We invite some like patrons. Rowan can come on. Oh, I think that'd be good. We get Everett in here. We can help pay down the escrow. How about that? That's what we'll use the money towards. Oh, well, what are we going to do with all the extra? 2020 escrow uh, fund relief. Yeah, won't someone won't someone think of the true victims? Millionaires. Um. uh, Although in my mind, buying a used couch tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) I guess yeah. Like I mean, now your couch is like. I think you were just waiting. I think you told us you were waiting until you didn't have the dogs anymore to get a new couch. Yes, because our old couch was old, broken, and dirty, but uh, kids and dogs uh, get them more broken and dirty. So now that we can control kids and it won't be covered in dog hair, we will go and get, we've got a new couch and a love seat that we're picking up tomorrow. And hopefully it makes it a year. Bold of you to insinuate that you can control Mika and Hank. I can literally put up a physical barrier in front of the couch to keep Hank away from it at least. Look, for now. Hank I'm, wor- for now. Hank I'm worried about, yeah. Hank is going to grow up to be the juggernaut like from the X-Men, and we all know that. Mika's freaky smart. I actually have no idea how you're her father, to be quite honest. <laughs> like She's devastatingly smart. I would, I'd be horrified to try to maintain anything in the condition that I wanted to if she decided that she didn't want it that way. Oh, yeah, no, it's... It's a life. It's a lifelong battle. Well, only uh, you know, fourteen more years, something <laughs> like that. <laughs> All right. With that, let's head over to uh, overtime, and we're going to start off with Patreon. Patreon, where all of our patrons get their comments read out first, as our way of saying thank you for supporting the show. Um, thank your local Winged Wheel Podcast patron. Uh, I'm just going to refresh this here. Oh my goodness, the tweet announcing tonight's episode got stuck in drafts i'm sorry guys i just realized that right now anyways to those who did get their comments in uh drunky the dwarf says hashtag go caps <laughs> don't ignore it this time ryan they are the only reason i even care about the playoffs not much to add but being able to root for the caps again makes me excited hey if you can find something to be excited about in these playoffs all the power to you uh harun khan asks do you think that the overripe philosophy the red wings used played a part in damaging a lot of the prospects we drafted shahan yurko sveshnikov and the likes svech had a solid year in grand rapids in 1617 and wasn't brought up when he was on a tear also this could be a patreon exclusive idea i want you three to rank the best to worst fan bases in the nhl thanks and let's go red wings oh all uh, 31 I, would take some time but i can give you 31 and and 30 by leaps and bounds right now it's boston and toronto there is <laughs> oh, I have no but no Mont- montreal's fan base isn't as big as toronto's to get them in the same tier and boston sports fans in general are just the worst just the i would put boston as 31 honestly i don't know habs fans are rough man 
Yeah, but I can't understand them, so they don't bother me. Did you did you not take French in high school? I took it all the way through grade 12, and I remember none of it. Yeah, me. Same with me. I know not. Nothing. What kind, of, what kind of French did they teach out here, guys? Come on. I don't know. Out in the boonies. Bunch of locals. Uh, overripe. I think the Red Wings were really guilty of that before. I think you're starting to see them get away from it. And the reason you might not be seeing that is because they haven't had the chance to really enact it a lot. Um, I think the last real sin in that department was Gustav Nyquist. I think he stayed down far too long. Um, but since then, there just hasn't been the roster space. Um, you know, you're talking about sins. You look at the contracts that were signed. It's really hard to find room for guys like Sveshnikov just because they're on a tear. And on most teams, yeah, you'd want that fourth line filler to be able to swap out. But there just hasn't been the space because of the contracts that have lived up. Yeah, stuff in the margins for sure you can argue with. But uh, I think we're already starting to see, see that shift. And it's not something I'd be too concerned about moving forward. I mean... There's always roster space, Ryan. This has been one of the worst teams in the league for four years now. <laughs> they yeah, could but justify I- the space. Like there were decisions they made I didn't I, I always disagreed with. I never liked the over ripening. If if a guy's good, you get him up. If he's good and you're good, well, he's cheap. He's on an ELC. Get him up. Um yeah, I I would have liked to have seen Svechnikov up regularly before his injury. Um, it, it sounds like such an awful cliche, but I think every hockey player will agree. If you change sceneries while your confidence is at a high, it does affect how you play. Because if you get called up after a rough season, yeah, you're going to play conservative. You're going to play to how the coach how you think the coach wants you to play. If you're coming off like a huge year, oh yeah, I can do this. I got this. And and you play your game because it was working for you. So it matters. Yeah. But I don't think that's a fast, like, I don't think that's a, a hard rule. Like here's two examples. Philip Zedina came up off a heater and then you couldn't see him grip his stick tighter the first time he was brought up from, from the AHL. And on the but flip then side, he settled in, but then he settled in. Yeah, of course. Because I think that's more about having the experience. And then you have Gustav Lindstrom, who had an altogether disappointing year in the AHL and came up and outperformed in the NHL, I believe. He had a solid but unspectacular year in Grand Rapids and then came up and had a solid but unspectacular stint with Detroit. I will hear you ar- hear your argument, but that's not the best example you could have thought of. <laughs> My everyone's part- different. You know, a, a, an adjustment to change is different with everyone and... Some people will be in good situations and it'll get worse and vice versa. So I don't think we can give a broad stroke to everyone, but. My uh, my biggest conspiracy theory is that Brad actually likes Gustav Lindstrom, but is just not happy with how I treat Madison Bowie that he uses Lindstrom as revenge. Uh, I actually do like Gustav Lindstrom, but my, what do I call it? My mission against him is to make the rest of the fan base realize that constantly praising a bottom pairing defenseman as being good is not the bar we need to be setting people have higher expectations when has that gone wrong before brad come on come on you got me (laughs) there (laughs) you got me there ryan 
K Waz says, uh, "Sup, my dudes. First off, my condolences to you, Brad." Um, okay, for hockey, assuming the playoffs actually get played to completion, how hard of a wall are those those teams going to hit for the 2020-2021 season? I can't help but think uh, I can't help but think come January, February that the teams will just hit a giant wall. I thought of this because there's one swimming season I stayed at my school for the summer. The following season was rough because I had such a short time off. Uh, boat time. I had to change the gimbal bearing, all of the bellows, realign the engine, and my friend built a new bench seat. I just got her back in the water, and it's freaking awesome. Evan, can you translate for us, please? That sounds like I didn't uh, understand any of that. Oh yeah, sure you didn't. You guys don't have a boat at your cottage? No. Really? Yeah. Not, like, <laughs> dude, dude, boats are an ready. acronym. Boats yeah. are an acronym for bring on another thousand. <laughs> like boats are the so expensive to have and then maintain you you want like bill burr says you be the guy who shows up to the boat with the beer oh yeah brad go ahead and i have a personal rule we have uh, our new fundraiser get evan a boat <laughs> no no. We'll, no we'll have no more money for worthwhile causes um uh, every year, except for this year, because, you know, hell on earth has come, um, we go up to my buddy's cottage up in Muskoka, and that you guys might actually know where that is. If Even if you're not from Ontario, that's where a lot of NHLers have cottages, even American guys. Um, and every year he puts out a post that says, here's the link to get your boating license. It's not hard uh, if you want to do it and take out the boat or the Sea-Doo. And every year, um, as Brad drops something, every year... I go up and they're like, Ryan, do you want to drive the boat? I'm like, nope. They're like, why not? I was like, I didn't get my license. They're like, why not? I was like, I do not want, no, I want to drink and I want to sit in the boat. I will not be responsible for this craft and I will not be ceasing my drinking or delaying it. It is a strategic plan and they legally cannot argue with me. It, But where that backfires is if they have a sea-do and then you can't drive it. I've had my boating license for 15 years for that exact reason. I don't care. I'll sit on the back. That's fine. Oh, if you sit on the back and I'm driving, you will not be on the back for long. That's Ryan, great. That's you, part of the fun. <laughs> Ryan, because you don't have your license, you'd have to sit in front of me. Hell yeah. That's but cute you don't get the you don't get to touch the 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 steering wheel thing. I'll reach behind you and just reach, <laughs> grab your ways from behind. <laughs> or bet, <laughs> better yet, I'll reach back and grab you by the earlobes. Perfect. Yeah. It'll be romantic. We'll have a nice sunset cruise on the sea do. I'm telling you, we'll put that'll be eight of the twelve months on the Winged Wheel podcast calendar, and that thing will sell like hot <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> the other four is just Brad like flustered and us taking pictures of him through his window trying to parent. <laughs> we sell those things for a hundred bucks a pop. Oh. Why not? Uh, I don't know how we got to uh reverse Titanic with me and Evan, but <laughs> Um, in terms of players hitting a wall, I think it'll happen in a way. Um, I think, I think more of what you'll see is teams like Tampa resting their players a lot more and you're not going to see completely dominant seasons from them. But I think what the NHL will eventually have to come to is a shortened season and that will make up for it in my mind. I think it's really only going to be a factor for the final four teams. I because the final four is going to take up almost a month in and of itself. They're planning for a six to eight week off season. I mean, three months doesn't sound like a lot, but honestly, that's more than enough time to get rejuvenated for the teams that get bounced in the first three rounds. So, uh, yeah, I think it will be a factor for some teams, but I also, I do think those teams that go to the final four will not be stupid and they will have a very 
lenient off-season program for those players. So they'd rather have them come back rested and slightly out of shape than in great shape. And like you said, just smash into that wall in January or February. Uh, Darren Helms, Stan Club says, so guys, as a result of being in lockdown, I outgrew my favorite Red Wings hoodie. Oh, I'm, I'm right there with you, man. With that in mind, my girlfriend bought me a customized hoodie that has the number 43 with Helm on the back. Maybe things aren't so bad after all. We're less than two weeks away from watching hockey again. I can't wait to spend a chunk of money to watch other teams play with the sad truth being that one will get the number one pick and one will raise the cup unless we return to lockdown. And I start to look more like the nutty professor. Ryan, oh, Ryan, this is the first time since I started listening. You have said something a foul and you must pay. Oh, no. One, go Bucks. Two, OH. Three, it's the, not the, as always, number 43 forever. Uh, we got ourselves a, an Ohio State fan here, boys. Ugh. Ugh. Uh, Couch Red, Red Flames says, Hi, guys. Been listening since pod number one and finally becoming a patron. No question. Just saying hi. I always love to hear about people who have been listening from the beginning. I love, like, new listeners alike, of course, but, like, people who have been with us from the beginning, like, as, why? thank you and why and thank you and <laughs> and we really appreciate the, uh, the support um happy to have you aboard uh cnods says anyone know who pionk is no okay let me inform uh let me inform you he plays defense for the jets and had two goals go off him in a game against the red wings this season which means he outscored abdulkader nemeth perlini daily who had a combined 238 games this year and there were others who didn't score a single goal or only one but i give uh give a shout out to them because they each averaged 48 games this year combined salary of 11.28 mil with perlini even being under a million Furkit put Evan on the ice and pay him in rounds of golf during the offseason. I know Nemeth is a defensive defenseman, but God damn it, just take a clapper from the blue line and cross your fingers. Just thought I would ruin everyone's Sunday. Don't believe me. Look up the game against the Jets this season, December 12, 2019. Detroit sports at an all-time high. I need another drink. All jokes and self-loathing aside, thanks for the pod. Oh, yeah. Know who Neil Pionk is. And, and any time the Red Wings scored off another player this year, that was like a highlight real goal for, for Detroit. Yeah, uh, I think weren't both those goals Fabry too? <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Uh, there was a Zadina two-goal game where both goals went off a Minnesota Wild player, and then Detroit scored off Jack Johnson. Jack Johnson? Yeah. On Pittsburgh. Yeah. I can't remember which Johnson is. Um, Joseph Fournier says, choo-choo, all aboard the Alexander Holtz train. The competition molts, and then it bolts. Not for Eric Stoltz, but for Alexander Holtz. That was a good one. Stay fresh, cheese bags. That yeah, was a good limerick. Moose says, can you talk about how much NTCs, uh, sorry, no trade clauses and or no movement clauses could affect contracts the Wings could take on, such as Louis Erickson's deal? Thanks. Um, they're everything because the player holds the cards. If they have a no move clause and they're like, yeah, I want to play for a cup. I don't want to go win six games next year. Um, they will. But one of the prevailing thoughts in the NHL is if a team approaches you to waive, um, most players will because they take it as a shot against them. Oh, you don't want me here? Fine, I'll leave. Um, but yeah, it's Detroit's not going to be a destination, so there probably will be a trade or two that gets blocked that we'll never hear about because of it. But hey, yeah. that's why players sign NTCs. Yeah, um, it's not like it's not procedural, but for the most part, players who are in this position see the writing on the wall a long way before it comes. Um, 
it's not unheard of to see them invoke that clause, though. There was there were Red Wings who, in recent years, refused trades. Um, Cronwell being Mike one Green of them. Didn't yeah, Mike Green did, and Cronwell did, I believe, in the same year. No, I don't sure. think the Cronwell one ever actually got to the point of a trade. I think uh, somebody just, seventh to Columbus. So that's what it was. That's what Columbus offered, but I, it was never confirmed whether Detroit had any intention on accepting that. I mean, not like even us who are like almost neurotic about like acquire assets, acquire assets. We're like, yeah, that doesn't matter. The seventh round pick does not matter. Like just Cronwell can see out his career in Detroit. That's fine. Yep. And we are like Columbus. Trust me, you're not getting who you think you're getting. (laughs) (laughs) Um, James Phoenix says, good day, lads. Have only seen having only seen the red red seats at the LCA. I'm hoping common sense prevails and that they change them back from the ghastly black ones they currently have, along with sorting out that atrocious excuse for Gullhorn. Who's your favorite Russian prospect, either in the upcoming draft or on another team's roster, excluding Andrei Sveshnikov? Cheers, boys. Russian prospect. So for the upcoming draft or already there, Ooh. it's going to be a meme answer, but uh, Yaroslav Askarov is fascinating. I've watched a lot of his play. I knew you were going to go there. I'm, I'm going to go with Vasily Podkolzin. I yeah. still, I still really like that little fire ant. Man, it does not matter how bad Jim Benning does in, in cap management. Pod Colson, if he pans out, Hughes, Pedersen, like they have Besser until they make the wrong move with him. He's it just Relative, feels like a guy who's going to fall forward into a, a cup. Relative to where they've picked, Vancouver's probably been the best drafting team in the last five years. Vancouver has always been in that position where they have the opportunity to pick the guy where it's like, oh yeah, like we didn't even think he'd be here, so it doesn't matter who was like on our list. They didn't even have an opportunity to make a dumb move. That guy just fell to them. Pod Colson really shouldn't have been dropping that low. Quinn Hughes, in retrospect, shouldn't have dropped that low. Elias Pedersen, I mean, that's a tough draft to say all those other things should change in that order. I don't well, know. Pedersen was not a lock to go five in that draft. He was no. out, he was out of the top ten on a lot of lists. Like he was not a hot like obviously he's a top ten pick, he's a hot commodity, but he wasn't People were looking at Pedersen like we were looking at Zegras. Like that yeah. that was the level. It was like, oh yeah, he's really good, but he's not like a franchise changer. And now he's like a top 20 player in the world. You were hopeful about getting Pedersen. I remember that. And we were at nine and I thought there was a very legitimate possibility that was going to happen. Yeah. Uh, Stan Olson says, hey guys, hope all is well. Are there any players you have ranked high enough to trade up into the last part of the first round for? I know you guys love Valeno, but would you have moved back up into the first for him? Oh, yeah, I definitely, like, if the trade was there, I think I would have. I was screaming for that trade up from at least pick 20 on, and there were two trades in the 20s, and both times I hoped it was Detroit going up, but it ended up working out. I mean, but it it also has to come with the asterisks that, like, on my personal rankings that year, I had Joe Valeno number 11. So in the same scenario, that would be on my current list, that would be Anton Lundell. And so again, we can't, I can't bank on Anton Lundell being there in the late twenties. Like for me, if I go down my list of guys that I have highly ranked that actually have a reasonable chance of being there, I'm looking at a Lucas Reichel, a Rodion Amirov, uh, Maverick Bork. I might entertain the idea. Um, I would even say Emil Andre, but I, based on McKenzie's rankings at this point, I would just bet on him being there at 31. So 
I don't I don't know if it's a huge list of guys that I think will be there that I would trade up for. It's I'm looking at uh, Jack Quinn, Anton Lundell, Seth Jarvis dropping unexpectedly because they're in the same range ahead Valeno ranked. Yeah, if you're looking at guys who are reasonably predict- predicted within like plus or minus five picks of pick 32, Paterka, Reichel, like that class of player, um, Forrester, like those are the kinds of guys that I would hope they would pick, but I wouldn't want them to trade in there. The only times I would want them to trade in there is if someone like Brad mentioned falls catastrophically like way beyond where they should have fallen and it happens it happens every year and there's just not really a way of predicting it i would have called brad like what do you think would have been more likely brad like what would what before the draft before the zadina valeno draft what would you have predicted to be more likely zadina falling to six or valeno falling to 30 zadina falling to six right and like we talked about zadina we said it might happen based on like the 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 rumblings we're hearing but no way would we ever have predicted valeno to 30 so no chance no chance your reaction was still funny because you were at a wedding and you had me text you you, i i facetimed you so you could watch the zadina pick because you couldn't believe that he was there and then you're like okay text me the next like five picks and then text me whoever the red wings pick at 30 and i said red wings pick valeno and you're like did we trade up or something like that i'm like no we got valeno at 30 and i had to actually convince you until you looked it up on your phone yeah i never want like I, I thought you were lying i was like now's not a time to do this brad like my phone's dying i'm at a wedding i lo- i'm losing friends tonight because i'm not interacting like <laughs> it's not i lost my damn mind i mean i might have been a little inebriated but still um okay we have some time for some reddit questions uh yarvik seven asks what's the latest scoop on jared mckisaac he was highly thought of when drafted but with his shoulder injury and our selection of cider he seems to become the forgotten man where is he playing next year and what are your thoughts on his progress and future uh, i mean he played fine when he came back from his injury this year um i, I wouldn't say he he was it's not that he played worse than the season before, but obviously there wasn't much progression because he came back late from an injury. Let's not forget. He did play a huge role on team Canada at the world juniors, that one gold, which we can't underestimate. And that was like almost his first games back after his shoulder injury. Um, I expect him to play in grand Rapids next year. Um, They might, I could see a reality where they send him back to junior uh, because he had a shortened season last year and because of the pandemic, if the AHL is not operating, but the QMJHL is, then yeah, you might send him back for his overage year just to get him on the ice uh, and take that risk. But if everything starts on time, I think he's in Grand Rapids and I still think he's shaping up to be a good number four or five defenseman. Um, all I see is Gaines says, uh, great name. So I see everyone putting the MLB line as the first line. I, for one, would like to see Fabry playing with Burt, keeping Mantha and Larkson the first, and Fabs and Burt on the, in the second line. Who would you put as a third guy in the first and second line? Um, uh, Zadina, obviously, on the first line at that point. Then there's almost literally nobody else to tow that line. Whoever uh, we draft. <laughs> yeah, whoever yes. we draft, because it's right now it's, it's Philpola <laughs> on the second line. So we... Uh, uh, whatever bad contract player we trade for. Um, also, I'm getting my first ever Red Wings jersey for the 2020-2021 season. Who should I get? I'm leaning towards the red number 14. Thanks. Hey, 14 is the great number because Brendan Shanahan wore it. So um, if you're willing to take a risk on a current Red Wing, um, 
I would wait until after the RFA deals to get a Fabry jersey. Otherwise, you could go with a classic. You can get a Gordy. You can get a Stevie. You can get a Shanahan if you want, 14. The absolute Larkin disrespect. <laughs> uh, Mark asks, how long will it take the Red Wings to be contenders again? A long time. Three to five years being optimistic. Cup contenders? Five I'd years? I'd be surprised if it was sooner than five years. Yeah. They, I could see him getting into the playoffs in three, maybe steal a round or two. Um, but yeah, like legit top of the standings contenders uh, at best five years. Um, who do you see making it? This is from uh, DHO41. Who do you see making a deep run this year that aren't in the top eight? Um, I I think we've been asked this one a few times. and I think my default answer every time has been the Rangers. They're, they just they just need competent defense because they have depth in goaltending. Mika Zibanejad is the most underrated player in the league. Artemi Panarin probably should get more consideration for the heart and the Ted Lindsay than he actually is. Um, and yeah, they have depth at forward too with Kreider, Kako, etc. So I think they their defense sucks, don't get me wrong, but every team that's outside of the top eight has massive flaws. I think the Rangers have the star power and the talent to overcome their flaw better than the other teams do. Um, and if the Rangers are, are the prime answer for that, for a team to just have all the things come together in the perfect way for this other answer here being Arizona, if their goaltending um, is hot, I can see them surprising people and my browser just crashed. I'm sorry. There's a couple of questions left, but in the interest of time here, we're going to wrap up this episode. Um, we will see you guys midweek. Uh, we have a very fun episode coming up. We're going to be pre-recording some stuff. Um, I think you guys will like it. Um, so stay tuned for that. Um, check your text, Brad, if you forget what it is. Our group chat. I just um, remembered. Yeah. Not you, Evan. You know, uh, Well, I mean, maybe you, but it wasn't the same group chat. Um, we would like to thank all of our listeners, our patrons, our name-level sponsors, the septic tank of that bitch, Carol Baskins, Greech, Jeremiah Dobo, Jake Kiefer, Drunky the Dwarf, Brad Smith, Andrew Bohan, Scott Martin, Jacob Turner, Matt McKay, Brandon M., Matthew M. Rice, Luke Johnson, Clayton Van Dyken, Kalen Wood, Hassam Alkasem, Arjun Shanker, Charlie Elkins, Hannah Lee, Birthday Boy Trev, Chris Ripley, Alex Ott, Ashley Van Conant, Chris Frank, Connor Leighton, Danny Jr., Matthew Keeler, Simon Anderson, Antonio Gracias, John Evans, Kwaz, and Stan Olson. Thank you all, and we will see you soon. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.